0: hello everyone and welcome to the crux of the story episode 104 this is gary sheffer and i'm a professor of public relations at boston university's college of communication i'm here with my co-host mike fernandez chief communications officer at global energy company enbridge and a former bu professor hello mike how you doing I'm, i'm doing well we were just talking hockey And Boston is all in mourning down here about the Bruins, the record-setting Bruins club that got bumped in the first round of the playoffs. But you're up in Calgary where things are going a little better.
1: Well, they're going better for the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, (laughs) the the Calgary Flames, uh, you know, flamed out and and didn't make the playoffs. But uh, no, and and even better, the weather has actually turned to spring. It was only about eight days ago that we had our last snow up here so uh uh, you know just as about summers to arrive we're having spring
0: well you know mike thanks for rubbing it in because our guest today is also in boston russell dubner and and the weather here in boston is like march uh quite cold and rainy and and uh, we're hoping for a better may so as i said um our guest is well known to our listeners Russell Dubner, the Managing Director and Global Communications Director at the Boston Consulting Group. And Russell came to BCG after a 30-year career at Edelman that resulted in him being named a Global Vice Chairman of that agency, which, of course, is the largest in the world. At Edelman, Russell also launched the Edelman Trust Institute, and Trust is a Topic we want to dive in with him today. Russell leads BCG's communications team globally with responsibility for the firm's positioning and reputation. He also advises clients on the intersections of trust, leadership, and stakeholder strategies. BCG is, of course, a leader in business strategy, and today it's building on that foundation. It says, quote unquote, to embrace a transformational approach for clients aimed at benefiting all stakeholders, empowering organizations to grow, build sustainable competitive advantage, and drive positive societal impact to help define the future of capitalism. Boy, that's a big, that's a mouthful in in many ways, but a, a, a big set of ambitions. Russell, Welcome to the crux of the story.
1: Welcome to the crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives.
0: Hello, this is Gary Shepherd.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University.
2: Thanks so much, Gary. Uh, Thanks to you and Mike for having me. So,
0: Russell, I always like to start by asking our guests to describe the organizations they work for. We know BCG is a consulting firm, but does that really describe it fully today?
2: BCG is no longer just a strategy consultancy where the output of an engagement is, say a PowerPoint deck. BCG also takes forward the bold ideas it conjures up with its clients to accelerate transformation. So BCG is not just an advisor, but an advisor and a builder. And this is true across, you know, big topics like cost takeouts that last or digital transformations that scale. And it means that BCG has added, we have 3000 technologists as part of BCGX, our new tech build and design unit, for example. And in our hiring, nearly half of our hires are technical specialists, climate scientists, AI experts. So the firm is actually quite a different firm than it was a decade ago. Wow.
0: That's it's astounding. I'd, I'd love to dive in later to on the tech side of things. But I'd, I'd love to do a quick follow-up about about you and your position as Chief Global Communicator. Uh, that's a new position, I believe, when they hired you, Russell. And, and why did BCG feel the need to create
2: your role, yeah. Well, Kerry, you know, I think first and foremost, it's it was simply scale. When you have a thirty thousand person consulting firm that is four times what it was a decade ago, uh, it requires a new look. And the second is really, uh, there's been greater industry scrutiny, as you may have noticed, and that's required a stronger uh-huh. center. It's uh, a complement. Like BCG has intentionally. Intensely decentralized, so they part of part of the strategy of the firm has been to stay super close to the client, and have that be where the edge is. And there are certain areas and certain functions where you need a stronger center, and the firm realized that that was uh, important. And then the third is really the opportunity. You know, BCG has been outpacing uh, its competition and growth for a number of years. And and communications and marketing and being hand in glove represented also, uh, you know, a way of seeking some, um, you know, advantage, some growth, um, and to more clearly articulate what the firm means and who the firm is to the marketplace. So there's really also the Mm -hmm. upside that the firm saw with bringing in uh, global leadership.
1: Russell, welcome. Uh, I I really was uh keen and and interested when I saw BCG's uh, news release announcing your appointment about a year ago. It talked of how critical navigating issues around trust is for leaders everywhere. And it read, the firm is rapidly expanding its expertise in climate and sustainability, responsible AI and risk to match the pressing challenges global leaders face at the nexus of business, society, and geopolitics. A year in, how is your team working with BCG leaders, uh, as well as clients to navigate such challenges?
2: You know, there are a couple ways to break that problem and that question down, Mike, but let me just first take it from the view of the CCO. You know, when we look at those problems, that, that the, the bundle that they present into the marketplace we first want to answer the question of why BCG and then secondly what can BCG do and so what we're really doing on the on the first level is embedding the purpose of the firm which is unlocking the potential of those who advance the world into everyday work questions and answers right so how do we embed that deeply in partnership with our chief risk officer, our chief legal officer, our chief marketing officer, and alike. like. The second point is the harder one. What can BCG do? Because as we talked about from the beginning, BCG is known at excelling in certain areas, and today it's a different kind of firm. So what we've been looking at are ways to make sure that the firm's partners, that the firm's thinking stand out, especially at defining moments, defining moments like COP28, uh, AI for the planet at the UN, partnership with Breakthrough Energy, or on a counterintuitive play like Responsible AI before, you know, AI really breaks out. And those are the kinds of things that we've been doing to make sure that on these topic sets, um, where both prominent, but we're also standing for our our purpose.
1: One of the things that's interesting to me, just because I don't know that all of our colleagues perceive it this way, uh, but when you tackled that answer, one of the things that I found fundamental in your answer is some of your early comments were about risk. And what's fascinating to me is that when you actually get into corporate boardrooms, oftentimes the orientation that senior leaders and boards have to the communications function is that it's a tool to help them manage risk. Um, I, I'm just is, is that true to what you see and what, and what you hear? I mean, it's kind of prompted by, by your answer. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. I, I think
2: that they are, you know, executive team expects that what comms is able to do is, or we have the shield and the sword, right? So and and the shield part of it uh, often comes first. Mm -hmm. And so of these topics, where might the firm uh, find itself caught off guard if it hasn't looked far enough ahead at what's happening in the marketplace with a range of stakeholders? And I think that's the expectation of the comms function to be a listening post early and to have that view cross stakeholder. The second, though, the sword is, you know, how imaginatively are you able to conjure up ways to show who the firm has become or the great success that its partners are having or even, um, you know, things that are being done that are outside of the ordinary Um, You know, like for one of the things we did that uh, I I think is fascinating is starting to shift how we look at our publishing strategy, right? We have like we have a, a formidable editorial team and now we're also showing up almost as a broadcast organization. Like at Milken this week, we'll be doing probably 50 interviews with thought leaders and with business leaders on a range of topics. And so we're not just there. Bringing our point of view, we're also there, um, you know, using our channels, our you know, um, uh, LinkedIn and others, to make sure that we're helping other, uh, you know, our clients and others get their view out with, you know, sharp
1: questioning. So another element in terms of uh, maybe another facet of the sword, if you will, uh, to use your analogy, is is trust um and certainly at edelman you talked a lot about trust trust is clearly important uh to boston consulting group and and its clients how would you define trust in the context of the work communicators do for their organizations as and 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 do for clients as well you know
2: start at a high level and then i'll talk a little bit more tactically mike i mean the the you know, at a high level, it's really understanding the promises, implicit and explicit that are being made to the stakeholders and also understanding how expectations are shifting across those stakeholders, whether there's upside in that or downside in that, right? So that's where we start. So if you don't have that context, it's very hard to do, you know, for a communicator to do their job well. In terms of then the the component parts is then. You know, and this is the way I'm looking at it for BCG is first really diagnosing the trust frictions, where the places, uh, topic at a topic level and at a stakeholder level where there's an opportunity to make change or where there's a competitive advantage. The next part is really mapping, you know, uh, and having a horizon map of. The issues that are coming up, you know, a, a simple but really useful calendar that's across, you know, what's happening with lawmakers, what's happening in society, what's happening with clients, um, and and working that through in a way that again you can put markers down, and then plotting the risk pieces um, and making sure every you know everyone's really clear on what's immediate and urgent, and um, and and that's really the baseline. And once you have that baseline, then you're able to really get to work, get to work on what is your master narrative, get to work on your kind of the interventions, the actions that the firm might take or the company might take. And this is part of how we tackle, I've created a reputation and trust council for governance purposes at BCG so that we can look at these kinds of topics with the audience owners at the table our people function, our client function, and the topic owners, sustainability, DEI. And that really, you know, informed by our trust index as the foundational research. Talk
1: a little bit more about the, the trust index. Uh, and I think it might be helpful to our audience. We, you know, we got used to hearing uh, from you and others at Edelman about the Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, the BCG Trust Index is a bit different and to your point, it, it's, it's about, okay, what actions can you take? Uh, but, but inform us a little bit more about maybe the distinction between the two.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, look, um, the Adelman work is, of course, like the foundational work on the state of trust. And I think everyone still very much tracks that to understand what's shifting in the zeitgeist. Uh, the purpose of the BCG Trust Index is quite different. It's focused on trust in a company or, you know, in, and for a client as part of its approach to systemic trust. So the Trust Index is an NLP based tool and it looks at trust dimensions, overall trust, and does a bottom up uh, deep semantic analysis. Of what are the trust driving topics? So by taking this kind of approach, we can help a, a client understand, or frankly, help ourselves understand where they stand and diagnose the problem to solve. And of course, you know the the, the work that we do around this, it's uh, it, it doesn't stop at the trust index because you know that's an outside-in view. We also do an inside-out view from an employee perspective using a a similar approach and then if you find frictions going at a stakeholder by stakeholder basis to see where you have advantage and where there's an opportunity for value creation
0: russell i want to extend just for a minute the discussion on trust it's increasingly a, a debated issue in our industry on definitions and the manner in which you go about establishing and retaining, building trust. And and I was struck by something I read and something that you've talked about, trust-driven transformation for clients uh, are the words you use. How do you put all of this horsepower to work um, that BCG has technically from a data analysis, from a business strategy, how do you help someone transform you've mentioned some of it what are the trust frictions what are the opportunities but what's the what's the secret sauce to use an old jack welch phrase (laughs) that bcg can then put to work to help transform trust in a client thank you for tuning in to this episode of the crux on the crux we discuss the intersection of communications business and society follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode.
2: Yeah, and you know I think one of the interesting things at a firm like BCG is that trust and this kind of research is something that can get embedded into larger engagements that are about business transfer transformation, not just brand or communications tran- transformation, but the firm understands the power of um, of trust. And I, you know, and I just um, I've been doing we do these CEO advisory sessions. Uh, we bring together groups of fifteen or so CEOs every probably three or four weeks, I probably have talked to 38 CEOs in the last three weeks on this topic. And the thing that is fascinating to me is that uh, several of them are already looking at trust metrics as a part of growth transformation. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that, oh, maybe I should do this thing on the side. No, this is the this is the approach that they saw as being required to enable change that can scale in a way that just looking at financial metrics weren't. So what we do right now is, so let's say we're, you know, there's a couple of things we're working on right now, where there's a large scale transformation that we're about to begin and using our trust metrics as part of that benchmarking. So a company understands where it sits, where there are opportunities, perhaps where it wants to you know, turn up a competitive advantage and sort of weaponize the trust advantage, or um, if it it has a trust discount, what kind of value creation and, you know, calculating that financially we think could happen if we're able to take the right interventions. So it's transformations, it might be post-merger integration, it might be around a risk and compliance Mm -hmm. engagement. So those are kinds of the, the areas where you can see trust showing up in a way that is, you know, somewhere between uh, some of the kinds of things you would recognize Gary from GE days of just good strategic comms, but at a, at, a, at a more analytical level that enables, uh, um, you know, mm-hmm. bold action that can scale.
0: And, and Russell, when you say you're beginning a transformation process with a client. But is that cultural transformation? Is that a business strategy transformation? What What is it?
2: Yeah. yeah oftentimes, it'll be a top to bottom looking at um, how the company is, is its cost structure, mm-hmm. looking at a employee transformation. So there's one, one we did a few months back where it was cost structure, and then the employees had sort of lost the... Um, their level of trust in the in the in the firm over a, a set of actions, and then we went through a whole people transformation agenda, and then this also informed their CCO. We didn't do the comms mm-hmm. component of it. That's not BCG's not in the business of that, but it informed the thinking, and so it went from cost to people to growth, and that was the last phase of it. So how can then through purpose? the understanding of who the fir- the company is and its growth trajectory does purpose play a role or is there
1: another marketing component that can help russell project? if i can interrupt here just real quick you said something interesting particularly the first part of the answer before gary's follow-up and you used the term um trust discount <laughs> mm-hmm. and and i just wondered is is there a conceptual framework for how BCG thinks about either a trust discount or a trust premium uh, when they're working with a client and how does that how does that enter into any kind of future decision making about an asset or a firm
2: yeah um, we've looked at and studied the top 1,000 companies uh, mm-hmm. globally first and foremost understand that um, there is a Two and a half times TS total shareholder return TSR advantage to the most trusted companies, and the least trusted companies have a 14% discount to um, uh, to the average. So we know that there is a material impact that trust has both on the upside and on the downside. And yes, part of what we do with our clients is to quantify if we see that they are disadvantaged what is that discount if they're publicly traded it's a lot easier to go through yeah, that exercise sure. um private companies uh, uh less so but we've done enough of it that we can probably give a you know a, a strong estimate of where or where things stand or arrange and you know where that becomes incredibly important is how valuable is this change yeah. to you so this isn't a, this isn't a comms question. This is now: can this intervention change in you know in 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 a material way your company's valuation, and that that really gives a different frame to the discussion. Wow.
0: that's a great question, Mike and, and and Russell. I'm so from a sort of selfish industry point of view, uh, happy to hear about how CEOs are thinking about trust in a strategic. And uh, way and, and the, the numbers that you just discussed about valuation in total shareholder return is really um, uh, amazing to me. Incredible um, demonstration of the value of of, uh, uh, of good stakeholder work uh, in many, many cases. Uh,
2: and Gary, I don't want to overstate of the 38 CEOs that I spent yeah. time with in the last little bit. There were four. Who are already true believers and applying their version. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the rest in the rooms are uh, definitely deeply intrigued mm-hmm. by what that could mean at the right time for their firm, and and fascinated by really understanding. and you know, I've been talking about, um, you know, should we really be thinking about trust building as a capability? Mm-hmm. in a a company. And in sort of in the way that I'm described, we're doing at BCG, what does that look like? What's the governance of of trust? What are the data points? How do you create the right approach to doing this? That's resonating really well with people, because whether or not it's going to be the management metric that's being applied, um, that's not yet clear. But uh, it's clear that there's interest in making sure that companies stay ahead of this. To me it's all the more interesting when it's part of a big yeah. change, driving a big change. Then it's then it's super fun.
0: Well, on a related topic, Russell, I know PCG does work for clients on ESG and recently on backlash that we're beginning to see, some of it political uh, against ESG and, and and companies really are being squeezed in some cases by activist investors, um, and others even elected politicians, as expectations rise from some stakeholders for ESG action, and at the same time companies are fa- facing woke lash. What's your advice for C-suite leaders on on ESG,
2: Gary? I'll first say the level of concern that I've heard from CEOs right now around this topic is not as high as one would mm, expect. Interesting. They're observing it. And from these dialogues, my sense is they're staying the okay. course. And, um, you know, they're, Watching some of the pressures that are taking place from the woke lash. They're watching what's happened with, you know, Bud Light or with Disney, and uh, they want to make sure they don't get uh, caught un- unprepared. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I didn't get the sense that there is, um, you know, that they're fearful and, and running away from commitments that they would uh, made in the past. And so, you know, I think in some ways this is about keeping in mind, you know, are we living up to what we've mm-hmm. promised, and are we, and and if we're going to step out, are we stepping out in a place where we've got the um, the credibility to do so, and um, you know, it's very particularized to a company and the circumstance. Mm-hmm. But there, I don't. I don't think that there's a a running away from ESG, at least from the groups that I've spoken.
0: You, you know, Russell, it's really interesting to hear you say that, and uh, I think it's extraordinary. By the way, as a communicator, you're probably exposed to more CEOs than most people we know. I mean, you just got this great pipeline and and listening to them and talking with them about these issues, and, and perhaps the. The case here is, and I'm speculating not, not this isn't your opinion, this may be mine, that some of these situations get uh, covered extensively by the media, right? Disney, Bud Light, pressure on Larry Fink uh, to to back away from some of the statements he's made in his annual letter to stakeholders, some pension funds in some states saying they won't in, invest in companies that are quote unquote woke. So uh, not a question, it's a statement from me that it's it's refreshing to hear that uh, staying the course and meeting commitments is something you're hearing from the CEOs you talk with.
2: Yeah, I think because the area of greatest interest, concern and conversation still, despite some slowing in the economy, is the employee. Mm -hmm. And the CEOs are first and foremost wanting to make sure that they are living the promise that and the expectations of their, meeting those expectations of their employees and advancing in, in a thoughtful way.
0: That's a great point. Really, really interesting point.
1: My guess is, too, Russell, that part of this is a communications problem and a communications challenge. Um, You know, it's kind of, if somebody talks about ESG and the company talks about ESG in just the context of, let's say, doing good, as opposed to talking about it in the context of what it means to the long-term health um, opportunity um, and perhaps growth for a company, then it becomes a different flavor. And maybe it's that, you know, some of us as practitioners have taken us too much in one direction. Whereas, you know, in in terms of some of the stories around ESG, it seems like actually the media may have gotten some of the stories that, that hit the financial community right in the sense that, you know, folks like BlackRock, had some real risk and something to lose when it came to state pensions and whatnot, which was the threat last summer, right, when you had 13 attorney generals mm-hmm. uh, sign a letter yeah. uh, to uh, to Larry Fink. But I'd be curious as to your, your assessment around maybe it's us as communicators that we haven't done a very good job of explaining ESG in such a way that people see it as critical and vital to the future of our companies and firms.
2: Well, I think, you know, take the BlackRock example. It's um, their assets under management Mm -hmm. have gone up, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
2: So in the end, there's a lot of media attention. There were some symbolic withdrawals In the end, what the company had to do is kind of be super clear in its Mm -hmm. position, probably clarify its Mm -hmm. position because people had oversimplified the actions it was taking and move forward. And I'm sure it's an uncomfortable position to be in, but at the same time, they pushed back hard on misinformation. They reclarified what it is that they are and will Mm -hmm. stand for and continuing to to prosper so i'm not saying that there's nothing here don't get me wrong there is and there is real pressure and it has real commercial impact it's just not for everybody not everyone
1: is feeling it
2: and um and i do think as communicators Sometimes we get caught in the elegance of our argument or the <laughs> elegance of the story we're going to tell, and maybe sometimes we should just gut check it and make sure, ultimately, you know, is this driving the business? Is this driving it in a, in a measurable way? Is it aligned to strategy? Is it aligned to you know where we're going to be in the midterm? And it's not just doing good for good sake. Because where do you draw that yeah. line? So I, you know, I I don't know if this is, you know, we brought this on ourselves, quote unquote, but we just need to be conscious of that and what you we
0: you know, be. Russell, I'll I'll jump in here because Edelman, of course, was a key partner to GE in EcoImagination, our environmental initiative that was launched in 2005, a long time ago, but it was an important initiative for an industrial company, and we have tried to make our language as sort of industrial and blue collar as we could. It was about a business initiative, uh, making money. Uh, Then we got GE. We got involved in um, the larger climate change. Our CEO was the head of a business coalition and et cetera to um, advance some climate legislation. And in looking back, Jeff Immelt was the CEO at the time sort of blamed communications broadly, not specific to GE saying our our climate language had gotten too cute, mm-hmm. too precious, mm-hmm. you know? And so, Mike, uh, I'm answering here your question. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I, I do think we have yeah. to be careful. That's what Russell said, it's a really wise counsel is keep mm-hmm. keep a focus on uh, on this, pay attention to it and how we communicate these things And is it tied back to a business line or a strategy that uh, is going to help a a large group of stakeholders? It's not a hobby after Uh, all, right? It's it's a business.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, you know, we tried for our clients to make everything so simple, right?
0: Yeah and, yeah and we
1: talk about it is is making things simple and yet even though i get frustrated by this answer when i hear it from public policy makers uh the world we operate in is is complicated mm-hmm. and sometimes you know we need to kind of step back and say did we lose something in the simplicity mm-hmm. um, but that said you know another area where maybe we're losing something in the simplicity or or, or, or we're not Uh, seemingly fully prepared. And Gary and I have talked uh, with others about like chat GPT and other technologies. Uh, But BCG not too long ago uh, made a statement that it was going to invest in responsible AI. And it's it's curious to me the selection of those words in terms of responsible AI. And AI, because there's almost a presumption that maybe AI isn't as responsible as we'd like it to be, and uh, you know, and, and maybe it's a beast that needs to be tamed somehow. <laughs> um, but I'd be curious, Russell, as to you know, at, at BCG, is, is is there some articulation around responsible AI, and where does this go? Yeah, I mean, first I'll
2: just. In internally, you know, we've had uh, a responsible AI code now for over a year. And so we were the first one in our space to come out with one. You know, the, the team that was looking at this saw the potential and the risks. And so putting those guardrails in place. So when, you know, the whole generative AI you know, push has come, we felt quite well prepared in terms of how we would absorb that into the organization and where we would or wouldn't uh, adopt uh, technologies and tools. And now that we're, you know, this is one of the biggest areas that CEOs ask our consulting teams about right now is to try and understand generative AI and its application for you know, whether it's for growth or for, um, you know, the ability to create efficiency and alike. And so, you know, our, what we were doing before uh, ChatGPT came out was, was, you know, helping and advising, including the, the, the legal and compliance teams at, at companies to be prepared. And now there's just no way <laughs> that uh, this can be contained. <laughs> this has got to be, an, this is an everyone thing. And so how do you bring them up to speed to understand how to look out for uh, potential uh, risks in how technologies are being applied? And so uh, we've decided to create a responsible generative AI center. And that center, as we're you know we're doing work with a range of partners right now. Uh, have some fun announcements coming in the in the coming weeks as this uh, picks up pace and um, so, but we, we know that we, we shouldn't just look at the commercial upside here. It's part of kind of our focus on integrity, that it very much, we have a, a real responsibility here to be a, a, a partner for, a, you know, sort of uh, AI for good. And so that's that's one of the places that we're investing time and energy.
1: So I I saw that you recently gave a talk at uh, Columbia Business School, your alma mater, Um, and it it was associated with the power of trust and planning corporate activism. What do you mean by planning corporate activism? First of
2: all, I just thought it would be like a fun turn of phrase. <laughs> to <about> <laughs> all right, here comes hey, it worked. It worked. We're asking you the question. <laughs> so this goes back to uh, this notion that trust. And trust building should be a capability, just like you know you have corporate development and other capabilities in an organization, and that it, it's a big role for communicators as a potentially a convener of that, and it should be kind of cross the organization and can help define and um, set the the kind of protocols of both kind of how decisions are being made what the inputs are what the technology being used uh, in and around trust building and and then metrics of its impacts right so and corporate activism is a component part of that and watching carefully tracking what's happening on the public affairs front and then doing you know going through what are my principles for corporate activism What are my decision guidelines for corporate activism? And if I'm going to take a stance, what kind of posture am I going to take? And so to the best of our ability to get ahead of that whole Mm -hmm. process and make decisions way earlier, because I think what we all saw and experienced was, um, you know, some good gut decision making and gut decision making will sort of never They'll go away but it probably should be more like 70/30 <laughs> of well considered to gut not 30/70 which is where I think we were for a period of time and that that was really what I was talking about is that there's an opportunity here for for companies who want to take this seriously and see trust as a source of value creation and competitive advantage and to look ahead and to actually plan for corporate activity
0: you know Russell I'm listening to you and and uh, your job must be fascinating the data that you have available to you about what's going on as you say in the you know in the marketplace but from a public affairs and societal level uh, it really sounds extraordinary with all these tech folks being hired too um, understanding um, what technology is going to do to business and to communications practitioners i think it sounds like you've got a, a front seat to all of that and so I'm just curious, how much time do you spend, uh, as you said at the beginning, sort of consolidating the BCG story? And how much time do you you spend with clients talking about things like trust and the advantages and opportunities it can bring?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, it, it is an amazing seat. Um, you know, you, some of the brightest, most collaborative people you ever want to meet and uh, always willing to step in and to help solve a client problem or to help advance something for the firm and uh, it's really it's really quite extraordinary. In terms of my role, you know I'd say it's probably 60 6040 um, CCO to you know client facing except when it's 40, 60, except when it's, you know, a hundred to 50. And so, you know, there are moments in time where it's all CCO all the time. There's, there's an important issue and I can't be distracted. There are a lot of people who can do client work and there are fewer people, even though we have an excellent team, you know, that that's my job is to be there, you know, side by side. And then there are other parts where um, there's exciting things happening um, where I get to really focus in like um, for this for this CEO forum last week in Paris, for instance, and, and really focus in on something like that. But the two, they, they feed each other, right? So the fact that we're treating ourselves like a client, I think is interesting to then be able to share out uh, pretty transparently and 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 uh, and then take those learnings uh, back for ourselves. So um, you know, it takes some, I have to be ambidextrous (laughs) and uh, and uh, be willing to uh, to switch gears, but it's it is
1: nice to think that uh, consulting firms are using their own tools on themselves.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and we we couldn't believe how useful it was. was We sell this stuff. (laughs) Uh, it was, uh, you know, we thought it was going to be useful. And then we did. I was like, this is absolutely fascinating. I had, I, we had no idea. And we're changing a whole host of things that we would have been yeah. doing otherwise. Like, uh, it, We're refocusing the machine. So it's, it's super cool.
0: Well, our listeners can understand why Russell is one of the most respected leaders in our industry. He's been our guest on this episode of uh, the crux of the story. Russell, uh, thank you so much for telling us about your role and about uh, what's going on at BCG. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank
2: you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Gary, for having
0: Thanks for listening to The Crux and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.